I wanted to carry on from where I left off last week in terms of this, I, this, this series uh, called Overwhelmed. And once again, I'm going to start in the same place as I did last week. I think I, I probably just talked about the one verse last week. 1 John chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 4, verses 4 to 5. So I'm going to go there first, but then we're going to go over into Hebrews. So if you want to find Hebrews chapter 11, put your finger in there. But first of all, go to 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 4 to 5. And, you know, when I've been thinking about this, it, it, you know, sometimes your, your thoughts and your ideas come together because God uses other people to, to prompt a particular direction. And it's kind of some of the thoughts I've had here, they were, they were kind of set off and ignited because I was listening to something uh, that George Pearsons was saying about persistent faith. And, and I'm, I was really encouraged by what he was saying. And, I, and you know, I'm really grateful and thankful to him. If you don't know who George Pearsons is, he's the, the husband of Terry Pearsons, uh, Terry Copeland Pearsons, who we hosted a couple of years back. He's the pastor of Eagle Mountain Church in, in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, really, he's a, he's a great pastor. I mean, and, but what, as I was listening to him, I was so encouraged and so built up. And it... it as a result of that, your mind goes off, the Holy Spirit takes your thoughts, and you end up with something that you feel that he wants to communicate more widely. And, and that's really where I'm coming from this morning, is that, 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 that take-off point and then taking it a lot more widely. Last week, we talked about how uh, the devil uses a particular technique, and it's the pile-up technique. You know, it's one thing after another. He doesn't just throw one thing at you. If he's got one thing going, he'll put another on top of it, he'll put another on top of it. And just when you think you're just about to get clear of all that, another problem, another issue, another blow up, something else comes along. And the thing is that when we are ignorant that that is a tactic the enemy uses, it can overwhelm us, it can be too much for us, and we can just feel like giving up. We can back off on our faith, we can you know, start to ask all sorts of uh, crazy questions about, you know, like, does God love me? And all those sort of things. And he, and he takes us out. And, and really, the strategy behind what he's doing is to get us out of faith so that he can go about what he's planning uh, undeterred and unaffected by the power of the kingdom that we carry. And it, it's, it's one of those things that if we don't know he's doing it, we can just get thrown. But if we know he's doing it, we can fight back. And last week, I, I, I used this phrase that persistence defeats resistance. You know, that can, that can be the devil who is persistent in your life. You know, he's using persist, his own persistence against us. And he is a persistent enemy. And, and he pushes and he pushes and he pushes and he undermines and, and, he, and he whispers things in our heads and he's trying to get us out of faith because he's persistent. But what we know from the, the word of God is that if we resist the devil, then he will flee. So if we want to get rid of his persistence, then we need to resist it with our persistence. And, you know, we, we can face problems, we can face challenges, we can face difficulties with persistence of our own and persistence is a real quality that the Holy Spirit is trying to uh, fan into flame in every believer at this time 
And he's trying to do that right now in you, that you will be one who persists. You will be one who resists. You will be one who pushes the enemy back. You will be the one who overcomes and rises above and looks out beyond the issues in your life. And you will see the other side. You will see the wide open spaces beyond them. You will see the freedom that lies beyond them. And your persistence will overcome that resistance. Your persistence can wear down and get rid of the resistance of the devil. Your persistence can and resistance can move you from the position of somebody who's overwhelmed to somebody who rises above, rises above all that stuff that's heaping on you in your life and overcomes it and goes forward into a very different future. You know, when I was thinking about this kind of pile-up technique uh, that the, the, the enemy uses, and, you know, we can say, well, you know, it's not really the enemy. Perhaps that's a bit spooky, you know, I can't blame everything on the devil. Well, that's true. But the enemy, the devil, is actually the god of this world. That, you know, that's what the word tells us. He's, he's well at play in the hearts and minds of every unbeliever. He is well at work in, in all those things, and he doesn't have your interests at heart. He doesn't have the, your, your, your uh, blessing at heart. He doesn't have good things for you. He's, he's stacking things up so there's bad things. He's trying to get your life to collapse. But he's going to fail. You are going to overcome. You know, it's like... Um, you know, when I was thinking about this and looking at this, what, one of the things that uh, I, I saw, and I think it was probably just I was, I was scrolling through news items, and it was a story of some of the storms a couple of weeks back. And what it showed is that the, these storms had been beating against these cliffs and beating against these cliffs and beating against these cliffs. And eventually some cliffs had collapsed and some houses had gone into the sea with them. That's what the devil's trying to do. And that's often what it can feel like in our life. But the word of God says that our fathers furnished a table for us in the presence of our enemies. That though we go through the valley, we come out the other side. And, you know, those cliffs do not need to, to collapse. However, we underpin them with our resistance and our persistence. And we stop those waves. We stop them coming and we look out over the sea and we see the future. And so I just want you to carry that picture as we get into the word. So I'm going to 1 John chapter 5 and beginning at verse 4. So if you'll turn with me there, I'll just read those verses again. Whoever believes, sorry, no, that's not it. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, that word um, that you said for overcome, it's a, it's a Greek word, and it's the word nikos. And obviously that, that probably doesn't mean anything to you unless you're kind of really into Greek. But that word nikos doesn't mean just overcome, it means to conquer. And what it was used for in, in literature at the time, it was used for, uh, you know, those, those Greek athlete, athletes that you see on those old pictures. Uh, it was used to describe athletes who had mastery over the competition 
And ultimately, they were the ones who stood on the podium. Now, I know one thing that, that Jules loves to do, because uh, she, she dashes off when we, we film this on a Sunday, and she goes to watch the Formula One racing. She's a big fan of Formula One racing. And, the, you know, the, 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 the highlight, the big thing at the end of a Formula One race is the three guys who get on the podium. And, and they're the ones who were out front, they're the ones that came through the work field, they dodged all the accidents, they dodged the debris, they got the tyre strategy right, and they come out and they're on the podium right at the end and they, they're spraying the victory champagne over each other. And that's how God pictures you. That's how God made you to be. That's what he's planted in you. He's planted in each and every single born again believer the ability to conquer, to overcome, to have mastery and stand on that podium above all the, the things that the enemy put in front of us to get in the way. All the debris on the track, all the accidents, all the mess that's out there. And he's destined you to stand on that podium and to have victory and see the kingdom come in your life. And that's who he is. You know, it's so important that we, we understand this. You know, one of the things that, that I used to do when I was younger is I used to, and you might not think this now, but you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, but when I was in my teens and my 20s, uh, I was very uh, serious athlete. I com competed quite a high level. And uh, the, when we had the, the school sports teacher, so the school sports used to take place between kind of the district trials when we, we, you qualified to go to the national championships and the national championships themselves. And so what, what would happen is in the school sports, we had this thing called the Victor Ludorum. You know, with, schools like Latin, don't they? They love Latin. And this, this Victor Ludorum, the idea behind it was that it was kind of levelling up people who competed in all the different events so you were allowed to be in a maximum of five events at the school sports and uh, your performance in those events your position your place in those events and whether you broke records or whatever earned certain points and people in other events also on that level ground and so each year i would i would go and i would compete for this victor lidorum and i remember uh you know, it got to the point where I'd run it, I can't remember, three or four years in a row. But there was a young guy and he'd always been really uh, competing with me. But he did totally different events. So we never competed against each other. He was, he was a javelin thrower, a discus thrower and the rest of it. And I was a sprinter and a long jumper. And I remember, uh, you know, that he, we, we were really close in, in, in this, this, this year, the year that I'm thinking about. I think it was my lowest sixth year at school. And he threw this huge javelin throw. He was going to the national championships as well. And he threw this huge javelin throw and, and it broke the skill record. And I thought, that's it. That's, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to win this year. And, it, and it's easy in that, that circumstance when, uh, you know, the enemy or the, your competitor, here, but we're talking about the devil here, has just thrown his best shot. And you go, oh man, that's just taken me out. Here's what God wants us to do. You see, what I did, in that sense, I had no choice. But I thought, right, I've got one event to go. I've got the long jump to go. It's not my best event. What am I going to do? So, so I got on this, you know, the run up to the, to the long jump, marked my run out. And, and I'm, I'm kind of like, God, I'm just asking you that, 
everything that I've trained for, everything you've put in me, everything that, that, that's been in there through the, those, those winter months when I didn't seem to be getting anywhere, I just pray it's all going to come out now, Lord. I pray that you will uh, honour and bless that. So I, 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 I ran down this runway and I, I don't know ha what happened, but I kind of hit this board and it was almost like I was flying. And I went out like 30 centimetres, which in long jumping is quite a long way, further than I'd ever jumped before. And I ended up winning the Victor Lidorum. But the thing is that there's a prize that every Christian believer aims for. Paul calls it, I, 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 I race to win the crown, I race to win the prize. There is that available to every single one of us. God has equipped us and he's put in us the things that we need through his Holy Spirit. But we also need to plant some stuff in as ourselves. We need to plant the word in us so that we stand on solid ground. We need to be people who are serious about the word so that we do stand in that place. But also that that word, like my training, that word is effective in our heart when we need it. And when we need it, that's when it comes out. And so for all of us who've put word in, this is the time it's coming out. There's battles to be fought, but there's also races to be run and we are equipped to overcome and be winners in those races. So, you know, when, uh, what, what John is saying in that, that passage is that when we, when we almost like when we come into the kingdom of God, we enter a real life competition. And that competition is, we enter it by this decision we've made to follow Jesus. And in following Jesus, our faith in him puts us right in the centre of the ring. It puts us right in the middle of the competition. And that means that this walk that we have when we follow Christ, it actually has a cost attached to it. Um, the truth is, it's easy to focus on the cost. It's easy to focus on how hard it is to follow Christ. It's easy to focus on the criticism we get. It's easy to focus on all that stuff about whether people reject us if we talk about Jesus. It's easy to focus on those, uh, all those things and end up wasting everything that he's put in us. But it's far more costly not to follow Christ. It's far more costly to have your life dictated to by events, circumstances and everybody ex else's expectations of you. You know... Jesus has a destiny, he has a plan, he has a purpose for every single one of us. And how tragic it would be to get to the end of our life and, and, and just look back on our life and say, I did the things everybody else wanted me to do. But I never did the things I know God wanted me to do or the desires of my own heart. That would be tragic. And yet, day by day, there is a pressure, a relentless pressure that pushes us to live like that. And, you know, weeks, months, years can go by and we get stuck in, in looking back, looking back at the problems, looking back at the things that have hurt us, looking back at the problems, looking back at what people have done to us. And then we live in the middle of people doing stuff to us, people hurting us right there and then. And we find we've moved on 5, 10, 15, 20 years and we look back and we see I never lived the life that God had for me. 
And that, that is so tragic. But that is a plan of the enemy. He wants to overwhelm us in that way and get us off plan. He wants us to not be able to see that God has something else for us. And he wants us to be stuck in our past. He wants us to keep going back there. He wants us to feel like we can't cope in the present. But, you know, God didn't make us like that. God made us. He didn't. Let me say what he didn't do. He didn't wire you. He didn't make you a born again new creation in order for you to be a quitter. He made you a born again new creation in order that you become an overcomer. That you overcome the world by your faith. That's, that's what he made you to be. He, he didn't make you to be somebody who backs down, somebody who falls away, somebody who gives in, somebody who, who just can't get past stuff. He made you to be somebody who goes through, keeps going, doesn't quit, doesn't back down, doesn't stop now and keeps on going and keeps on trying. And that's who he made you to be. And when we realise that that's who we are in Christ, he empowers us to do it. He doesn't expect us to do it on our own. He empowers us to do it, but it requires us to turn our back on what's gone past and push on towards the prize, to run the race, to win the race and receive the crown. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing in us. And that's the way we deal with all this stuff that the enemy, the world, the peers, life has just thrown at us. We push on, we look forward, we set our gaze to receive the prize that is set before us. And we keep our eyes there. We refuse and we resist and we persist that we will not be defined by what has happened to us and what is happening to us. And I want to encourage you to be and rise up to be that person this morning. That you will not be defined and dictated to by what has happened or what is happening to you. But that you will be one who sets their sight on Christ and pushes on to receive the goal. So, all that said, let's go to um, Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to, you probably, you know, if you're familiar with this passage, you probably know it as the, the great hall of fame or the faith hall of fame in which the writer of Hebrews lists uh, all these people who are great men of faith. And the reason he's doing that is not so that we sit back and admire those great men of faith, but realise that actually they're no different to us. And so that we can be great people of faith too. Every single born-again believer can see the things in their life that these great men and women of faith, that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, manage to uh, see in their own life so i'm going right to the end of that you know uh, so i'm going to uh, verse 32 and uh, so we, we you know we've already had abraham we've had uh, isaac we've had moses we've had the fall of the rolls of jericho we've had rahab and we get here what more shall i say for the time would fail me to tell of gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, ordained promises, oh, sorry, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and women received their dead raised again to life. 
So I just want you to, to think about that this morning because all of those things that they received by faith are extraordinary things. And these things are written so that we can step into that same sort of faith. So that rather than be overwhelmed, we can overcome. And so I just want to draw some points out of this passage. The first thing is this, that true faith has a corresponding action with it. All of these people, each of these examples in the Faith Hall of Fame, their faith was evidenced by the fact that they took action based on that faith. They took action based on what God said was promised them. They took action based on the knowledge that God was for them and not against them. But there's that combination of faith and action. Faith without action achieves nothing. You can say you have all the faith you like. We can listen to all the talks we like. We can listen to all, our, all, all the things we like on the internet. You can come along on a Sunday morning. You can listen to me. But, and, you, and you can say you've got faith because what you've actually got is information. But that faith without action, without corresponding action, does nothing. And so all these guys, they had, they had faith, but they also had corresponding action. God-given faith will always produce effective actions. God-given faith will always produce effective actions. You see, as a born-again believer, I'm going to tell you something about yourself. You have power on the inside. No matter what you feel, no matter what you, how you see yourself in the mirror, no matter how you see yourself in your head, the truth is you have power inside of you. You have the same spirit that Christ had on the inside of him. Uh, Ephesians tells you, you have the same power inside of you that is the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. And I'm telling you, that resurrection power didn't just manage to raise Christ from the dead, but when he burst out of the grave, all the graves around Jerusalem emptied and people came out of those graves too. There's not a shortage of power, there's an overflow, there's a surplus of power available to you. But so little of us walk in that because we don't attach actions to our faith. We wait for things to turn out before we act. And that's not how faith works. Faith sees and then acts. And the truth is that that, that power and that, that, that God-given faith that we have inside of us is only effective when we know it's there. And, you know, I listen to so many uh, things over the years, so many ministries, so many talks, and very, very few people have ever told me about who I am in Christ and what is there. They talk about all sorts of things. But what we need to do is we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know how to walk in faith. And then we act on it and we see the overcoming instead of the overwhelming. Let me uh, just say this to you. It's not only faith that has corresponding action that overcomes, but it's also faith that gets rewarded. And, you know, we don't often think about this these days, but it's actually a big theme in the, in the New Testament that God actually rewards the actions of faith. And you might say, well, isn't that kind of, how's that grace? Isn't that kind of earning? No, God's ready to uh, step in and empower you to walk in his promises and to walk uh, with him all along the way to see the kingdom come in your life it's us that are missing out. And so 
But when we do step into those things, when we do walk in those things, God has promised we'll be rewarded. And that, that's how this works. You see, Hebrews 11.6, just you know, go back to the, the start of the chapter. This is what Hebrews 11.6 says. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. That's there it is. He's a rewarder of who? Those who diligently seek him. He's not a rewarder of those who dili don't diligently seek him. And what that tells us is, you know, when we talk about pleasing God, you know, some people get all, all bothered about that. Well, isn't God just totally pleased with this all the time? Well, when we read this passage, what it says is that, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we're not walking in faith, that would tell us that we're not pleasing God. So if we think that we're just totally pleasing to God all the time, and I know it might be upsetting a few people already, but go with me. If we think we're totally pleasing to God all the time, then it would say, you know, whether you've got faith or not, you're pleasing to God. And the reason we, we get confused in this is we think we equate pleasing with loved. You see, it's possible, you know, you are, uh, how can I put this? You are deeply loved by God unconditionally as his son or his daughter. He died for you. He gave everything to you. You are the great treasure in his heart. He's absolutely crazy about you. He loves you unconditionally. There are no conditions attached to his love. You know, my children, um, I, I have always loved my children. I mean, many of you know my children. They're, they're absolutely great. You know, I, I, we, Jessica's and, and Matt, they're just brilliant children. I, we're really proud of them. But you know, when they were growing up, although we always loved them and we loved them unconditionally, they did a few things that didn't please us. You know, along the way, as part of the growth pattern, they did a few things that didn't please us. And it's like that. You see, God always loves his children. You are loved as a child of God and that will now never change. However, as a son or daughter of God, you now have a free choice. You have a choice whether to walk pleasing to God or whether to walk in your flesh. You see... There's not just our spirit that's in play, our flesh is in play too. And people pleasing attitudes, approval seeking, uh, emotions are all over their place. They're evidence, they should be a warning sign that we're operating from our unrenewed soul as opposed to our, the, the renewed part of our mind. And, you know, we have a choice. God is so amazing that even though he, we, he knows we might not always make the best choice for us to do his good, he still gives us free choice. And we can choose as born again believers to walk carnally, to walk in our flesh, or we can choose to walk in ways that please God. Now, just to remind you, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm not talking about adoption into God's family. I'm not talking about how much Jesus loves you. I'm not talking about how much God loves you. I'm not talking about how much he cares for you because he absolutely cares for you in every sense of the word. He's interested in every part of your life. He's cheering you on. He's encouraging you. He's there for you. He's strengthening you. 
He's, he's speaking to you and he's right now, even though you maybe not hear it, he's advising you, he's counselling you and he's giving you his best, the best of his heart at all times. So I'm not talking about any of that. You know, recent years we've got kind of, uh, I guess the, the big message that we've received over the last 20 or 30 years in the church is how much God loves us. The father heart message of God and that is an incredible message. You know, it's a message that has totally changed my life. That's not what has been talked about in Hebrews. What's been talked about is not how much God loves you. The question that is being asked, and, and it's good always to check our hearts on this, is how much do we love Jesus? How much do we love God? And what it's saying is that God rewards those who diligently seeks after him. How much are we going after God? You know, a lot of people are out there, and, and, and a lot of people in churches, and it's so sad, but they're trying to please God because they think he'll be angry with them and punishment punish them if they don't. You see, the way to please God is not what we do and, and not sort of sin management or anything like that. The way to please God is to trust him, to believe him, Believe who he says he is and believe who he says you are and believe that he will do what he says he will do. And you can have what he says you can have. You can do what he says you can do because he's always who he says he is and you are always who he says you are. And he's a rewarder when we diligently go after him. You see, there's a, a link between diligence and reward. And if we're going to be those who overcome and not be overwhelmed, we've got to be diligent people. Diligence is required for any sort of success in life. You know, I, I'm sure you can appreciate that. I'm sure you can see that, that, you know, there isn't any success in life. There isn't any achievement. We don't achieve much in life without a diligent attitude. I, I talked a few weeks ago about having a responsible attitude. The two are going together. That diligent attitude is not just about the natural. It's also true of the spiritual. You see, in the natural, there's some people who never achieve much with their lives. Their potential is unfulfilled because they don't diligently use what they have. It's the same as the, in the kingdom. Now, God's not the one uh, determining what you have in your life. Not, God's not the one determining how much of the kingdom manifests in your life. God is the same towards everybody. He's not a respecter of persons. And hallelujah, I'm really glad personally he's not a respecter of persons because over my life I've messed up lots of times. So I'm, I'm really glad that I'm still in with a shout and on the same basis as everybody else. He's not the one determining how much of the kingdom we see in our lives. We are the ones. Because we're responsible for our own success or lack of success in kingdom things. It's down to our diligence how much of the life of God we experience. We've all got the same power. We've all got the same spirit living in us. But people who approach the gospel, who approach God, who approach Jesus with kind of a, I don't know, let me see, think of somewhere, like a, a lethargic attitude or... Uh, kind of a do-nothing attitude. Well, I'll just, I'll just see what comes. I'll just see what happens. I don't need to do anything. Or a too-busy attitude. I don't know room for God. Do you know how busy my life is? Or a take-no-risk attitude. You know, I'll just keep my head down. I'll just not take any risks. I won't, I, won't, I won't step out. I won't do anything. 
all those things limit the kingdom in our life. You know, when, when we're like this, it's not the way we see the rewards and the promises of God come to pass. You see, that word diligently seek, it's from a, it's from a Greek word, uh, exateo. And what it means is to zealously seek after something with all your heart, all your strength and all your might. To seek something passionately, having set your heart on it. it this isn't a passive sort of thing. Our, our Christian walk can no longer afford to be passive. Why? Because the waves are beating, the cliffs are getting undermined, they're about to fall, the pile-up techniques coming left, right and centre in the world around us, and we cannot afford to be people who are dispassionate, disconnected, and do not have our hearts set on Christ as number one. And, and I'm not telling you that because I'm a pastor. I'm not telling you that because it's the sort of thing a pastor has to come out with. I'm especially not telling you that because uh, I want you to be part of uh, our church. Because I wouldn't tell you that if I really wanted to just be attracted to our church. I'd be saying something much easier, much simpler. But I'm telling you that because I believe it's what God's given me to say to you. And I don't get to say what I want to say. I don't even get to say what you want to hear. I get to say, and I have to say what God gives me. So I'm sorry if it sounds direct, but here's the thing. It's truth, it's powerful, and it works 100% of the time. This is how the kingdom works. If we want the blessings of the kingdom, we have to do the things and the ways of the kingdom. So here's my, here's my question, and I'm going to kind of wrap it all up with this question because otherwise you're kind of wondering well what's the, what's the title that he gave this talk and he hasn't talked about it at all i'm going to talk about get up ability here's my question what makes somebody a winner what stops somebody being overwhelmed what stops people giving up what is it that will make you an overcomer the people who win, who stand on the podium, are not those who didn't get knocked down. They are not those that didn't have disappointments. They are not those that walked perfectly. They are not those that did everything right. You know, in life, everyone gets flawed sometimes. The truth is, you know, there will be, I'll, I'll give you some not so good news, but it is reality. There are always opportunities to stop. You will always have an opportunity to stop. You will always have opportunities to give up. You will always have opportunities to back off on your faith. You will always have opportunities put in front of you to give up on God, to give up on yourself and give up on those who are close to you. you the, those opportunities will always come. Why? Because there's an enemy at work in this world and he stacked the cards against us. He's pounding away at those cliffs, but we're underpinning those cliffs. We're working on them, we're putting our resistance and our persistence in place and we're going to see right over that ocean to see the promises of God. And, you know, although everybody gets flawed sometimes, everyone gets knocked down. And sometimes, you know, I know some of you have got knocked down hard. You've hit the floor with a thud and it's been hard to get up again. I've hit the floor several times in my life with a flood. You know, I, I, I've been on the point... Of, of my health where I've nearly died a couple of times it's been that sort of level and yet God has always come through to me you see 
there's even some of us that every time we've like tried to try to step out the first step we've taken we managed to trip up well do you not think that the enemy would try and stop you at the start why wait till you've done something he's trying to trip you up when you first step out so what do you do what makes a winner what makes an overcomer what makes somebody who stands on that podium at the end that they get up again the definition of a winner it's not that they drop out and give up. The definition of a winner is that no matter how hard they're smacked down on the canvas, they get up again. A winner is only somebody who got up one more time than he was knocked down. And that's all it takes. You just keep getting up one more time than you're knocked down. We exercise our get-up ability. You know, every person in that great hall of fame exercised their great get-up ability. You know... You think of Noah's in that Hall of Fame. What does he do? He gets drunk, he lays around naked, and that has far-reaching consequences for the members of his family and all who are descended from them. And yet, God puts him in that Hall of Fame. Why? Because he got up again. Abraham. Abraham didn't follow God. He took Lot with him. He was a liar. He told Sarah to lie about herself. He messed up big time, but he got up again when he'd fallen. Jacob, you know, what does Jacob do? He deceives his father, he cheats his brother, he gets cheated himself, he gets deceived himself. This is a serial loser, this is a serial failure, and yet he gets up one more time and he got knocked down in faith in God and he's in that hall of fame. What about Joseph? Joseph riddled with pride. Joseph full of arrogance. Joseph locked up in prison. Joseph falsely accused. What about him? He ends up in that Hall of Fame. Why? Because he didn't give up. He got up one more time. He exercised that get-up ability. Um, let me think. Moses. Moses, like, I can't go, God. Like, you know, first off, he murders somebody. He ends up going into exile. He has all sorts of things there. And then he gets sent by God to Egypt. And he says, I can't do it. And God gets, like, kind of fed up with him and says, OK, you go, but I'll send Aaron with you because you can't do it on your own, even though, you know, I've told you to. Moses fails, fails several times, and yet he's in that Hall of Fame. Why? Because he exercises his get-up ability. What about David? David, serial failure. Just some absolutely stupid things, and yet God calls him a man after God's own heart, and he puts him in that Hall of Fame, because he exercises his get-up ability. He didn't stop, he didn't fall back, he didn't give up, he didn't let the failure, he didn't let the problem, he didn't let the hurt, none of them let the pain, none of them let all the stuff that had happened to them or was happening around them, let get them to... To, to stay there, but they all moved on and they all walked towards that prize set before him. You see, they all messed up spectacularly and the truth is, I guess all of us at some point in our lives, if not right now, have messed up spectacularly. Here's the thing I find in this whole affair. None of those things are ever, ever mentioned at all. The greatest in the Hall of Fame, their failures are not mentioned once. So why does God call them winners? Why did he put them in that Hall of Fame? Because they became overcomers. They went beyond the things that would have derailed their lives. They weren't perfect. They failed but they're in that hall of fame because they understood this principle. And Paul puts it like this. Forgetting those things which are behind, 
and reaching forward towards the prize. They were knocked down, but they exercised their capability. They didn't let their past be there forever. And that's a real challenge to us in, in, in these days. We must not let our past be our forever. Hebrews 12 uh, puts it like this. Where did I put my Bible? Oh, it's here. Sorry, off the camera. I threw it away. There you go. Put it over there. Hebrews 12 says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Don't let our past be our forever. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking at Jesus, the one who wrote our faith and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and he's now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The one who overcomes, the one who is not overwhelmed, is simply the one who gets up one more time than they were knocked down and they keep their eyes on Jesus. You know, you look at the, the names in those, those final verses from Hebrews 11. Um, and I, w I, wanna, I want you to be inspired by these guys. There's Gideon. You know, Gideon, his tribe wouldn't cross the River Jordan. They wouldn't fight. Uh, his people actually had a reputation for being cowards. And they lived, and, and Gideon, li he, he, he lives in fear, anxiety, and he lives in hiding himself. To you, if you, that resonates with you, if you, if you like Gideon, then God says to you, get up, you mighty man of valour. Get up, you mighty man of valour. Then there's, there's Barak. Barak was so insecure, he hid behind a woman prophetess when God told him to go to war. And she went to war instead. And yet, ultimately, he musters an army of 10,000 men. And, and if you found that, that sort of thing in your life where you backed off when you know God told us to, you to go forward, then God says to you, get up, beat the enemy, destroy the enemy, go to war, take the ground, persist, resist, overcome. And then there's Samson. You know, Samson, massive personal flaws. He squandered, he lost his strength, he lost his standing, he lost his reputation, and yet ultimately he tears down the pillars which held him. And if you felt like that, if that's happened to you in your life, get up because you are strong inside. Your strength's not what's happened in what's happened to you. It's not what you look like. It's not what it's around you. Your strength is inside. And then there's Jephthah. Perhaps not as well known as the others. But Jephthah, he was kind of a, an illegitimate child. He was rejected. He was driven out by his family. And yet he became the deliverer and defender of a whole nation. And God says, you might have been rejected, you might have been pushed down, you might feel that your family aren't for you, you might feel you're in trouble with your family, but right now this is what God says to you. Get up, you are not defined by others, you are defined by the presence of God inside you. And I want to encourage everybody, use your get-up ability, be an overcomer, persist, resist, you are not ordinary. You were born again in Christ to be extraordinary, to be an overcomer. Amen. So if, 
If you've heard this this morning or you're hearing this during the week or you've just connected to it on Facebook at, at any time or on our YouTube channel, if you, if you connect to this and those words resonate with you, if you, if you don't know this saviour that I'm talking about, if you don't know um, the Christ who, who, whose spirit lives inside born again believers, if you're overwhelmed by the world, if you feel pushback, if you feel like you're, you're failing and you don't have God in your life, I want to encourage you to, to come to him this morning or come to him right now if you're listening to this during the week. And I'm asking you to pray with me now. So I just want you to say these words uh, after me. Father, I come to you now. I choose to no longer put my confidence in myself. but I choose to put my confidence in you. I ask you to forgive me that I have not had you in my life, that I have gone my own way. And I ask you to be my saviour and I choose to make you Lord of my life. So I ask you to come now to give me new life by your spirit so that I may follow you. Amen. So if you've said that prayer, if you just want to talk about any of those things that, that come out in that prayer, We'd love to celebrate with you. We'd love to get, you know, just help you. We'd love to uh, get some resource to you. So contact us through our Facebook page, just messages now, or contact us through email office at faithlifechurch.org.uk. That's office at faithlifechurch.org.uk. And we'll get somebody to talk to you. We'll get somebody to get some resource to you and we'll help you on your journey. So Father, I just thank you for everybody who's responded to this right now. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. So, Faith Life, don't forget, Zoom on Tuesday. Um, it's going to be a, a time when we can get together, look at where we're going in the future, look at how we can connect with each other more. And don't forget to watch the videos when they come out uh, on the DNA cells and TruthQuest and get ready to make some decisions around that by the end of the week. And just have a fantastic week, Faith Life. We love you all. Uh, we, we think about you daily. We, we, Cheryl and I are praying for you every day. And we are just so proud of you. So have a great week. Have fun. Enjoy today. Amen. <laughs>